Jane Byrne. Today we're launching a new series, the Biopharmapod. Kicking off these broadcasts is the hot topic of biosimilars. There is much work to be done in the US to increase usage of biosimilars, stimulate competition and reduce prices for patients. Two bipartisan bills supporting development of such drugs were signed into law by President Joe Biden on April 23rd. The first bill, Advancing Education on Biosimilars Act of 2021, amends the Public Health Service Act to allow the FDA to create a website featuring educational materials on biologics and biosimilars, aimed at healthcare providers, patients and caregivers. The second bill, the Insuring Innovation Act, modifies the Federal Food Drug Cosmetic Act to replace the definition of an active ingredient with the active moiety definition. The idea being that drug makers would be prevented from gaining exclusivity for minor modifications to products and thus helping to facilitate generic competition. With me to discuss these legislative developments is Roger Kwan, a partner at US law firm Haynes & Boone and chair of the firm's Precision Medicine and Digital Health Practice Group. First off, Roger, the advancing education law, why has this bill received praise from the biosimilar industry and how can it facilitate biosimilar uptake by educating healthcare providers and patients about such products? Is it about tackling some of the misinformation that has been deliberately put out there about biosimilars? Well, it would help to spell a lot of the misinformation out there about the safety or efficacy profile for biosimilars. Mainly, some have argued that biosimilars may not be as equally safe or efficacious as the branded biologics that they're designed to substitute. Um, these aren't new arguments in the pharmaceutical industry. The same arguments have been used against generic versions of small molecule drugs, even though they have been used safely and effectively for decades in place of branded small molecule drugs as soon as they come off patent protection. Um, in rebutting this fact, the anti-biosimilar camp makes the distinction that there is more potential for variability in biologics manufacturing versus small molecule manufacturing. And that protein-based biologics are not, are not as predictable end products as chemical-based small molecule drugs. How valid those arguments are scientifically is debatable, but it can cause clinicians to be reluctant to prescribe and for patients to agree to take a biosimilar over a branded biologic. Um, adding more confusion to the mix is that the current FDA regulatory structure differentiates regular biosimilars from interchangeable biosimilars. Um, there are Two primary differences between them. Um, regular biosimilars can only be dispensed to the patient in place of a brand biologic at the request of a physician, whereas interchangeable biosimilars can be substituted in place of a branded biologic by a pharmacist or at the pharmacy without first obtaining permission from the physician, as is the case with most small molecule-based generic drugs. Um, another difference is that in order for a biosimilar to be approved as an interchangeable biosimilar, it has to go through more rigorous clini clinical uh, testing to provide that it produces the same clinical results as the biologic reference product that it is substituting. 
to date, no biosimilars have been approved by the FDA as an interchangeable biosimilar, which further casts a cloud on regular biosimilars as being equally efficacious and safe as their branded biologics counterparts. The goal of the Advancing Education Biosimilars Act is to clear up all this confusion, which is a tall order from a practical standpoint because the science can be confusing to the layperson. Okay, well, does that law then actually provide for any specific funding for the creation of these educational materials? And who's going to carry out this kind of dissemination activity then on their behalf within the U.S. market? Well, to my knowledge, the bill does not earmark a specific bucket of money for its implementation. I mean, rather, it calls for the Secretary of Human Health and Human Services to direct the Department of Health and Human Services to operate an internet website that provides education materials for healthcare providers and patients regarding the meaning of all the terms we just discussed, such as biosimilar, interchangeable biosimilar, et cetera, and to put on um, healthcare provider and patient education programs, possibly uh, clinician continuing education programs or, or public media that promotes public awareness and understanding of what biologics, biosimilars, and interchangeable biosimilars are. Looking at the second bill, how will that encourage a more competitive playing field for biosimilars in the US? And are there concerns about likely implications, given that both FDA's interpretation of the exclusivity provisions of the FD&C Act and its definition of active moiety have been subject to legal challenges previously, Roger? Well, the effect on biosimilars would probably be minimal as the Insuring Innovation Act is really focused on small molecule generics and not biosimilars per se. Um, mainly, it stops a common practice in the pharmaceutical industry called evergreening, whereby uh, pharmaceutical manufacturers make insignificant chemical modifications to a drug, creating what's termed a new chemical entity in order to extend patent protection for the drug by five years. This, is, this practice is known as... Uh, this approach is known as new chemical entity exclusivity. Um, the Insuring Innovation Act will actually clarify the FDA's informal adoption of the active moiety standard as opposed to the previously codified active ingredient standard to determining what constitutes a new chemical entity, which really was a primary point of contention in all those previous legal challenges you're talking about. Mainly, the Insuring Innovation Act is meant to tighten the definition of what drug what new drugs qualifies for the new chemical entity ex exclusivity, and the Advancing Education about Biosimilars Act seeks to clarify, again, those common misconceptions about biosimilars that have led clinicians and patients to distrust using them. But Roger, isn't it the case that regardless of, of these uh, legislative moves that, you, that you've um, provided insight on, existing reimbursement policies remain a barrier to growth of biosimilars in the U.S.? That's very true. The reimbursement barriers will still be a major issue, even with the enactment of these two pieces of legislation. Uh, mainly, payers are not economically incentivized to reimburse for biosimilars because branded biologics manufacturers have done such a great job of minimizing the pricing delta between biologics and biosimilars through the strategic use of volume-based rebates and discounting. When you couple that with all the misinformation that's out there regarding biosimilars and the company reluctance of physicians to prescribe and the patients to use biosimilars in general, you have a scenario where payers are just not motivated to add biosimilars to their formularies. But what the Advancing Education of Biosimilars Act will do 
is, is it will clear up misinformation and possibly alleviate the concerns that clinicians and patients have about biosimilars in general. With the adoption barrier issue removed, payers may be more willing to take a chance with adding biosimilars to their formulas in the future. 